This is Amanda, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. Tonight, I'm here with my lovely co-host, Jean. Hi, Jean. How are you tonight? I'm great, Amanda. Do you know why? And why? (laughs) Because it's a special day today. As you know, I'm outing you. It's your fourth sober anniversary. Da-na-na-na-na. Congratulations. Uh, I'm so excited for you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were going to catch me with that. (laughs) Thank you. Well, seriously, you you deserve congratulations. And really, I think you are a fine example of joy in recovery. Oh, well, thank you so much. And it does, you know, it's, it's... um, as we talk about on here, it's one day at a time, but it feels good. It's like, wow, who would have ever thought four years sober? That's crazy. Uh, it's a good feeling. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, okay, so tonight we are going to discuss getting sober when you live with someone who drinks. When most people are looking for their partner in life, they look for someone with similar interests. So for many of us who drink, that means our partners drink too. On this show, we often talk about ways to to protect our sobriety. We have suggested removing all the alcohol from your home and avoiding events where there will be be alcohol served. But what do you do when you live with someone who drinks? Whether they are a normal drinker or a heavy drinker, this can be very challenging. What if they want to keep a few beers in the fridge? Is that fair to tell them they can't? What if they want to go to a party at a friend's house where alcohol will be served? Because let's face it, our friends probably drank too. Um, Do we go with them? Do we ask them to stay home? Um, I've asked two wonderful women to join us tonight to discuss their experience with this topic. Um, Hello, Jenna and Danielle. Welcome to the Bubble Hour again. You've both been on before. Hi, Amanda. (laughs) Hi, how are you? I'm thrilled that you are here tonight. Oh, thank you, thank you. (laughs) So I'm going to start off the show tonight by getting to know our guests a little bit better. Jenna, um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, my name is Jenna, and I'm an alcoholic, and my sobriety date is January 22nd, 2013. So I've been sober a little bit over um, 19 months. Um, awesome. And I actually got sober by, um, I actually was listening to the bubble, I actually used to listen to the bubble hour when I still drank and was given the wonderful resource of the Booze Free Brigade. So that's what started me on the journey was the online support. And for a job, I've been a preschool teacher for over 20 years. And my hobbies are reading, cooking, baking, hiking. I love to ride my bike. 
and I have a beautiful rescue dog, uh, that I adopted from the Humane Society when I was a couple of weeks sober. And, um, that, those are my hobbies. <laughs> and happy birthday, I did want to say that. Oh, thank you, thank you. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny. We So we all have doggies in the background tonight. Um, so if there's oh. barking, which has happened on this show, don't be surprised. Great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you. And now I'd like to introduce my other guest tonight, which is Danielle. Thank you, Danielle, for being on the show tonight. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I'm so glad to be here. It's been a while. Um so I am also a person in long-term recovery, which for me means that I haven't had a drink or a drug in a little bit over 16 months. Um, and like a um, in, in good addict fashion, uh, recovery has become a huge part of my <laughs> life. Talk about all or nothing, black or white. Uh, I um, left my career as a sales director in IT and have started a recovery coaching and sober companion business um, in in doing intervention and family coaching, and then um, the Massachusetts chapter leader for young people in recovery. And that stuff takes definitely a good amount of my time now, um, but I do love spending sober time with my family and uh, spending a lot of time outside as well in nature and with uh, our, our wonderful dogs and other pets. <laughs> <laughs> oh Well, thank you, Danielle, and you certainly have um, turned your recovery into a full-time job. It's really cool to watch that. We're actually going to have to talk to you some more about that on a different show. Um, Sounds good. Yeah, yeah, because I'd, lo- I'd love to hear more. Um so now that our listeners know you a little bit, I would like to get into the topic. And personally, I live alone, so I don't have a lot of experience with this. But when I first got sober, my boyfriend at the time had been my drinking partner, so I did deal with it for the first few months I was sober. If you've heard my story on other shows, you know I caused quite a scene when I, with him the last weekend of my drinking, so I was trying desperately to hold on to that relationship. He had moved out of my house while I was in detox, and he worked a lot, so we only went out once a week. And I didn't want to put him out or make him feel like it was, you know, a chore to be with me. And so, I, you know, when we did go out, I was we used to do what we did before I stopped drinking, which was go to the local bar and play pool or something along those lines. Um, and at that point, I hadn't learned anything about boundaries, and I didn't even know what they were. And so... The dates were just like they were before I got sober, except I wasn't drinking. And I felt great at the time, and, you know, I felt comfortable at the time. But in hindsight, that was a really, really bad idea, really dangerous, because, you know, we've talked about sometimes you can successfully, you know, be around booze and early sobriety, and then, you know, it can actually just trigger the thoughts, which is something that, you know, you really want to just stick away from stay away from especially early on um so anyways he broke up with me after three months which was probably the best thing for me even though i was absolutely devastated at the time but like we say everything happens for a reason and i don't know where i would be today if that relationship had continued so um that's just my little brief experience and so i'd like to move on to some people that have some real experience with this 
Um, Jean, you've mentioned before that your hus- you and your husband are foodies, which I know for many involves pairing a fine wine with your food. Um, when you first got sober, what changes did you have to make, and how did your husband react? Oh, Amanda, it was so hard at first because I was trying to um, act like nothing was different. And mm. it's gotten easier as time goes on, but that is what I gave up was trying to act like, you know, do, 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 I have something else in my glass and everything's fine and I don't miss wine. And, and yet I was just achingly missing it. And it just took time to heal that missing part of it. And now when we go out to eat, like we just, we just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary and we went out for a beautiful meal and he said, do you mind if I have wine with dinner? Thank you. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, he's like, this, and it was a really nice meal, and it needed wine with it, right? But uh, I didn't mind that he had wine with it. I just didn't want wine. Like, I'm actually at that point when we go out. I want to eat. Give me my food. <laughs> yep. Don't mess around with any extra calories. And when it's over, I'll have um, a cappuccino, a decaf, of course. Cappuccino is my treat at the end of it. But when I first got sober, I did not tell my husband I quit drinking. And remember, he didn't know that I was drinking so much. He, I had hidden right. that from him. So he was, he was clued out that I was an alcoholic, and he was clued out that I was an alcoholic in recovery. And it was so hard to tell him because in order to tell him that I was quitting, I first had to admit to the truth, the reality of of what I had been hiding for years. So that was wow. very difficult. Yeah, and those first 10 days were hard, hard, hard because he was still having a beer in the evening or whatever. He's a normie, so he, you know, it's summertime or whatever, you know, he'll have a drink. So we, and so he was offering me drinks and not really thinking anything that I wasn't having them. But um, that was really hard. But it wasn't because he was offering me drinks that was hard. It was once I told him, I felt so much relief to be honest right. with the person that I love most in the world and that he listened, he believed me, he trusted my judgment. Like here is with no evidence, with no knowledge that I was anything I was saying was true, thank God he didn't say, oh, you're crazy, you're fine, you know. He believed me that for me to go this extreme, it had to be serious. And he said, well, okay, so, what do you I just, for me? That I, I just have to you know, jump in for a second, and I just wanted to jump in for a second and say, like, that's amazing and awesome. We hear so often on this show and – and you know, in our in the online group that we both belong to, about you know the uh, spouse not believing the person is an alcoholic, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just curious. Did it? Did it? T- it doesn't sound like it took much convincing. Um, it, you know, but but did you know? Did 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 he did he have any doubts at first, or he just said, well, you ha- I know you have a great relationship, so he he just trusted you with mm-hmm. that. But I I know a lot of people struggle. He, I, he believed me because it was so hard for me, and I'm not a dramatic person. So yeah. he knew if I was going to these lengths and I was having this serious discussion with him that that this was the truth. I think he could feel the truth of my words, and I think it was clear that I was in a lot of pain. 
um, emotionally, if not physically. So thank God he yeah. believed me, and I was so relieved. But here's the thing. I, I didn't address it at the time, but in preparing for this conversation tonight, now I look back on that time and realize why it was such a relief to me, um, not just because, you know, my best friend and partner in life is now on board with this amazing, crazy journey I was about to take, but also because I knew that I had to quit drinking. I knew it was going to kill me if I didn't. And really, if you put the pieces together, what that means is that if he'd have said, well, I don't want to be married to someone who doesn't drink, that would have to be the end of my marriage because I couldn't, I couldn't go back. I couldn't be a normie. I couldn't wave a magic wand and go back. And when I think about it now, I realize that's what's so, so hard is that fear. And I, I knew I didn't have a choice. And if he, had, if, if he hadn't been willing to go with me on this journey, then the choice I would have to make would, would be to consider whether or not we continued as a couple, as a happy, loving, <laughs> long-term marriage. Because I, I knew if I, if I said, oh, okay, well, then I'll drink again to make you happy. Uh, he would have a dead wife, you know. And so that wasn't going to work either. So we just really had no choice, I think. Yeah. What What made it wow, probably easier for him, too, is that he's not sick, right? So a lot of people that that are very resistant to accepting someone else's truth of addiction are people that can't face their own. And I think because he was really good with himself and, and had no no none of those issues to deal with on his own. He was in a place where he could be supportive to me and, and be comfortable with me. But that said, then he asked, like, are you okay if I keep alcohol in the home? Like, what do you need from me? Can I still have a beer when the guys come over? Like, what? where do we need to, What? how is this going to settle out? And I, I felt that I was okay with keeping alcohol in the home for guests and for him, but that if it didn't work out, if it was a threat to my sobriety, then we'd have to make a change. So that's what we agreed to, and that has worked out, but it it was definitely, we were 100% in agreement that if that didn't work, we would change it. So that's kind of my story. That's that's how it's worked out for us. So we, we probably, we don't entertain as much as we used to because it's easier for me if we go out and meet people out because that way if it's not going good for me, I can leave. Or if yeah. he wants to stay and, you know, how guys sometimes get, you know, Ugh. all testosterone up and they're watching a game or something and <laughs> sometimes things get a little goofy and sloppy and I just, I have to check out at that point and he has to be okay with that. That's just how it is. So that's kind of yeah. how it's it's worked out for us. We've We've kind of hit our stride and... We we still have a lot of fun together. It's all it's all okay. But I think I don't think it's a hundred percent easy for him sometimes. And I have to be sensitive to that. It's really give and take for us. So well, that is that's, that's how things are in my scene. house. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm glad to hear that. That sounds amazing because I think the poor guy is really nervous. <laughs> what I'm going to say tonight. <laughs> and I said to him, hey, we're talking about this on the bubble hour. Are you okay? I'm going to be talking about you. Are you okay with that? Uh-huh. He said, oh, yeah, say, say whatever you think, but uh, uh-huh. I'm sure he'll be glad to know. <laughs> glad to know that uh, 
that it sounded okay. But you know what? Even if it doesn't, that's okay. Because we're all finding our way through this, right? And relationships are journeys. Recovery is a journey. It's all it's it's all a moving target. It's all it's all about change. So you know, for someone who isn't in a good place or doesn't have great experiences to share, I think that's important too. So, absolutely, Jenna, tell me about you. Let's. I want to hear about you. Um, how did you meet your husband, Jenna, and what was your relationship with alcohol uh, or what was your relationship like before you stopped drinking with him well what i've always been a free spirit so i answered a random ad in craigslist to join a sketch comedy group they were looking for female performers so that's how I met my husband. He was in the sketch comedy troupe as well, and it, it started out as a meeting as a stranger with another man um, that was in the group and uh, another woman. So I started out um, meeting my husband. We would um, have rehearsal together, and we would drink together, and we started out as really good friends, and then the friendship developed from there. And... Um, it started out, like, it started out really wonderful. Um, this was before we were married, when we were dating. Um, we went to the bars together. My husband is very, very intelligent, funny, creative, and just so much fun. So we went on pub crawls together, beer festivals, and he would always encourage me to drink as much as I want wanted so at the time it seemed like an ideal fit and in the beginning you know there were a lot of really really good times and then once we moved in together and lived together and started we were engaged when we moved in together once we started planning the wedding that's when things um took a turn for the worse there was a lot of fighting um I was constantly trying to hide things, just um, not my drinking, but hide the fact that um, just trying to make everything look perfect on the outside, just hiding the fact that we were alcoholics. Um, There was a lot of shame around my drinking. I would wake up. I wouldn't remember stuff. I had said to him there was a lot of sadness, and there was just a lot of isolation and shame um, just in being trapped in the disease but I mean I also like can imagine a life without alcohol and in a way it was a paradox in a way it was ideal because we always kept the house stocked with wine and beer um we both enabled each other he drank heavily he drank every day so I was never a daily drinker I would look at him and think you know I'm not that bad um he would look at me and think the same thing because I was crazier and um, I would be angry when I drank. My personality would change. Um, so it was just a really, it was like this little, it was like this little secret I was covering up um, about our alcoholism. And um, he always would convince me like I wasn't that bad and to drink more. And, um, it just—it got really sad in the end. Um, I'm in a 12-step program, and in the Blue Recovery um, book, it states 
that um, you and your husband are living too much alone, so drinking many times isolates the wife of an alcoholic. And in the beginning of our marriage, it was really fun. We went to a lot of parties. We went to a lot of bars together. And in the end, I was drinking alone in the living room, and he was drinking alone in the basement. And that was our Mm -hmm. life. We weren't even um, drinking together. Um, So there was a lot of sadness that... um, went along with the drinking as we got um, further into the marriage. And even when I was still drinking, I felt, felt really lonely and alone. And my, alco- my alcoholism was a lot more progressive. I saw that being married to a man, his drinking pretty much stayed the same. And mine got worse um, really, really quickly. And it, I just, it got really lonely for me. I mean, I used you know, when I was in my, I'm 42, and when I was in my 20s, drinking was always a social thing for me, and I drank around a lot of friends, and as I got older, I really preferred to um, drink alone, and there was mm-hmm. just a lot of shame and guilt that came along with my drinking. My hangovers got a lot worse. As I got older, like I said, there was a lot of fights, um, there was a lot of isolation by me trying to cover up my drinking. Um, I felt like I was I was working at a religious preschool at the time, so I felt like I was leading this um, double life. Like I was presenting mm-hmm. this character to the outside, and then in the inside I was dying a slow spiritual death. It was like I was this other person. And I remember I a couple times, you know, I remember a few times, you know, probably a, more than a few times telling, you know, my husband, oh, my God, you know, I blacked out. I don't remember anything. I'd wake up with all this shame and guilt and feel terrible, and I would be like, I need to stop drinking. And he would um, say, oh, you know, just moderate. You're not that bad. So there was, I, I think I got, um, being married to an alcoholic just kind of drove me deeper into denial, even though I take responsibility um, for myself. It was just easier to enable him and for me to um, enable him as well. So, Jenna, what was it like then when you told him you wanted to stop drinking? How did he react? He wasn't wasn't happy about it. He told me I wasn't a real alcoholic, that I wasn't – he knew I was in a 12-step program, but he said, you're not like – you're separate from the others in there. You're not like them. Um, (laughs) He said, you've never had a DUI, which was true. You know, you have a job, you have the house, you know. He just said, you're a lot different, and you don't belong there. Why don't you try to, you know, moderate, which I had tried to moderate for decades unsuccessfully. You know, I could do it maybe for a month, and then I would go back to, you know, then do a wedding and drink two bottles of wine by myself. So he wasn't happy about it. Um, and there was no one in my life that, you know, I had the opposite experience that a lot of people in the room set programs have. I had people telling, you know, I remember telling my family, and they weren't supportive at all. They said I wasn't a real alcoholic either. Um, but I had, I had no support in real life other than the 12-step program and the online support group, the BSD. 
so that I definitely breaks not my heart. <laughs> no, no. How did you manage then? Jenna, did you set boundaries with him then if he was going to keep drinking at home? How did you keep yourself safe in that environment? Well, eventually I um, started working a program and going to meetings um, with another 12-step program, which is for the families and spouses of alcoholics. Um, and I got a lot of support in those rooms as well. But I asked him to um, hide the booze from me. I asked him to drink in the basement. And I asked him to please drink away from me. Because in the beginning, um, he would be, we would be on the couch together. And he would be like four feet away from me. And I could smell it on his breath. And it was a huge, huge trigger. It was just like awful it was excruciating because I was having really really intense cravings and I just remember being on my 11th day I was just really really angry in the beginning until I was I until I was told by um you know women who had walked this path before me and to pray for my husband and once I started praying for him, and I really, really saw that he was really sick, just like someone who has cancer, then I had a level of forgiveness and compassion for him, and the anger dissipated, and I was given this grace. But it was still, oh. still really, really hard. I wanted, you know, I've wanted to, I, now I don't have a desire to drink, but I wanted to drink hundreds and thousands of times. <laughs> That's really powerful. So how did that affect your recovery then when that new understanding came upon you? It affected my recovery because I just, I had so much compassion for him. I felt really mm-hmm. bad for him. But I, at the same time, I think that I really believe that, um, you know, just, Wives of alcoholics need a lot more support in real life, you know, than someone who is able to not have booze in their house. So I had to really, really get in the middle of my 12-step program and stay in the middle. I had to reach out for support. I had to, you know, take a service position. I had to go to a lot of meetings, and a lot of times I would go, my home group is a 10 p.m. meeting, so many times when I had the desire to drink and my husband was really intoxicated on the weekends, I would um, go to a 12-step meeting. So I went to a lot of meetings and I shared what I was going through and how hard it was for me. And I was just given so much support and love early on in the room. So I'm really, really grateful for that. Your, your story is so powerful, and it really speaks to me of the difference of of all the breadth of realities that people are in out there. I mean, on the surface, you and I are both people in recovery with a husband who continues to drink, and yet our experiences are at completely different ends of the spectrum, right, Jenna? Like, like because I had support and and you didn't, and. And that is, I like that's a key takeaway for me here is just the, the huge difference that that makes in the journey. Yes, I agree. 
And I really had to ask for the support. I just want to say this to anyone who's struggling that has a spouse in the house that's drinking and wants to get sober. sober. I really, really had to reach out. I mean, I just didn't sit there in meetings and go and not do anything. I really had to, um, I really had to ask for the support. And it's there. Yeah. Yeah, and, wow, and I've, I've, you worked really hard for it, Jenna. I mean, I'm, you know, Thank seeing you. your posts online, and, I mean, it's it's been a, a amazing to just watch you. Like, you know, that, that's so challenging. You know, you listen to, you know, you know Gene with so much um, support, and, you know, Jenna having to, you know, fight for every... <laughs> You know, fight for you know for support. Find your own support outside of the home, and that's really hard. Um, I can't even imagine because it didn't happen to me. You know, someone saying, "Well, I don't think you're a real alcoholic." Um, right. You know, being supportive, and not just the man that you live with, but also from your family. I mean, that's that's very challenging, and um, and I know a lot of people do face that, and I think it's important that um, they know that you know you. The only, you know, they say, there's a saying that the only person who can say you're an alcoholic is yourself, and that's very right. true, because it's it's all about how you feel, because people define, you know, they think that, you know, like your husband said, well, you haven't had a DUI, you haven't had, you know, this happen or that happen. Being an alcoholic is all about how it makes you feel and being done with it, and only only you can decide that. Um and so I really right. admire your courage to stand your ground and to stay sober. That's that's really thank amazing. You. And I just want to thank you so much. And I just want to give um, credit to the wonderful support group, you know, that we're all a part of, the DFC, because they were, you know, there are women in that um, group who I talked to, you know, on the phone when I was 10 days into my and. Uh, journey that really, really encouraged me to go to the 12-step meetings, and I wouldn't have gone had it not been for the um, CFP, so I just want to, you know, thank you that do the bubble out. Thank you, Amanda, Jean, and um, Catherine, um, and Allie, um, because that resource, the BFC, is, you know, how I got into the room, so I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, well, thank you, Jenna. And actually, you know, I um, I know you have more to share, and I just want to um, get Danielle, bring Danielle in and hear a little bit about how things were for her as well. Um, Danielle, um, could you tell us about um, what your relationship with alcohol was, you know, when you were still drinking and, sure. and how you met your husband, you know, kind of where it all began? Yeah, um, so... I think like basically every guy I ever met in my life was at a bar so or a drinking establishment. Um, so it's so interesting, this whole, I still think that some people probably go through their whole life drinking the way I did and are completely fine with it. You know, it's like we said, it's just, it's how we feel about our drinking that is in the end really what, it, you know, and that can just become your undoing because you know it's not what you want and you can't stop. Um, but for me, I think I always knew that I drank for the wrong reasons. So to, you know, deal with feelings and, um, kind of feel more outgoing and, and things like that. I notice now that 
Um, I go to parties and like I want to go to bed. Like I drank because we call it like FOMO, fear of missing out. It's like a big alcoholic thing too. Like I drank to like stay up and like not miss stuff, but like really I just wanted to go home and go to bed. And like I've only learned that now. So um, I um, I don't know. I mean, I just I, at, at 26 I met my husband at a bar. Um, and it seemed, you know, pretty normal at that time. I was, there was like, no, I knew even then in my twenties that I would like to like, you know, not have alcohol in my life, but it, it just seemed like, you know, that would never happen. There's no way I'm giving it up. Um, so, uh, fast forward, I guess to, well, the way things work for me is, like four years ago, I finally went to my husband and I said, I think I'm an alcoholic. And he was like, no, you're not. Like, And the thing is, his dad has about 30 years in the program. And so I was so lucky we went over there and his dad said, you know, only she knows. But my husband really did have reason to only think I was kind of like the party girl at that time because it was on work trips and certain times away from him that I got really crazy at that time. So he didn't see it a lot. But what I always say is like what happened in those next like two years, like the progression was unbelievable. Like the two times that I ever saw my husband cry, um, in, in ever were, um, besides a dog passing away was like one night I had my car running on the front lawn and he came home and I was passed out with like throw up on me in the, in the car was running and like, he said my foot was on the brake. It was still in park. And, um, I was like facing the neighbor's house. And so to go from, you know, you're not, and uh, no, you're not to like where we went. He was like, are you just trying to push me away at this point? Because like, this is basically an environment like I can't live in. So that's how much it changed for me over the two years. I think once I knew, oh my God, my drinking scaring me, it almost drove me like insane. Like the fact that like, I didn't want to stop. I knew it was too much, but I knew I was still high functioning. It was like that whole battle in my head. And I always say this, like, in the end, it just came down for me. It was like, no more, like, am I this, am I that, you know, the online questionnaire. It's like, I deserve more from the world, and the world deserves more from me. That's it. Like, I'm putting myself on a different level. And and um, so at that point, my husband, what happened is I went away for a girls' weekend, and the next my husband picked me up off the plane and he was like, oh, my God, you have, like, booze coming out of your pores. And um, he is a firefighter, so he was on a 24-hour shift the next day, and I called. And I was like, I texted my therapist, like, I'm off to a detox. And he was kind of like, what? Like, because I'll say as much as he knew what it was like, like, there was a good amount of denial there of how bad it was, for sure, from him. Um, And I could see how, for people that are familiar with, I'm going to say Al-Anon because it's, I think it's important for people listening tonight um, that, that there are support groups out there for family members um, because the family gets sick um, with the person. And he was trying to, you know, get me well by, by making things better. There was nothing he could do until I was ready to stop. So, Anyways, he was pretty surprised, um, drove me to the detox on a Wednesday, and right away he went to those meetings for the families, 
and he also um, talked to his dad and his mom. He talked to my therapist. Like, um, and uh, one thing that the other thing I want to say is now that I'm in this for work and working with families, a lot of the people that hire me are families to work with their their you know kids or sisters or brothers or whatever, and people do not have a clue like about it like so you you know the the even my husband having a dad that had 30 years in recovery like it's still hard for him sometimes to understand it like only when you go through this do you understand it and so it's like it's already been mentioned here you you have to people are going to try really hard sometimes to be supportive and sometimes they don't know so um uh, one thing with my husband is when I came home from treatment, I I just knew. He knew I wanted this. I'm so lucky that his family prepped him for this. And he was, like, ready to leave the marriage. I mean, I was, too, because I didn't care about anything in my life. So when I got home, it was, like, all in for this. And I was like, there will be no alcohol in this house if you want me sober. It was kind of like, you know, I just said, this is what I need so you, I will leave that up to you. And um, to this day, 16 months later, we don't have an ounce of alcohol in the house. I don't want alcohol in my house. Um, very rarely do I get cravings, but it's too close, in my opinion, for me to have that in my counter, in my, you know, in my, in my refrigerator. I just, and I also don't think we need it. Um, we go to parties. And uh, now, and he'll drink, I'll drive. Um, one Another thing that I'll say that was hard, though, is like we were at a wedding, my sister's wedding, and I actually called Amanda because I was like miserable. And um, the other thing is for people that when you get sober, when you're doing really well, and then you have a craving or something, it's sometimes you have to remember to be easy on yourself because it's like, oh, my God, am I going backwards? And and that's not the case at all either. It's just it's a process. And I was so upset that I wanted to drink at this wedding. I felt like I was missing out on all the fun. And, and that night my husband came to the room like pretty, you know, buzzed. And it really bothered me. I felt so alone. I felt like no one understood. And like two days later we really we talked about it. Um but if I ask him not to drink, he won't drink. Like we went to Delray in Florida um, back in the spring, and there was one night that I was like, I'm really bummed, like that we can't just go to a bar together. And you know, and, and I'm telling you, like there, there's probably been ten times like this, um, you know, and say even like the last eight months. But but those times he's been there to say you know what, no, like, then let's just go back to the hotel and let's just, like, get a piece of cheesecake or, you know, we don't we don't need it. Um, so he has been, like, ridiculously supportive, but I think at the same time he can't read my mind, he doesn't get this, and it's up to us to set really healthy boundaries as well and to be able to say, you know what, like, I want to leave this party now very frequently we take two separate cars or I'll drop him somewhere if um, 
I know he's probably going to want to stay later than me. And there are friends that we don't really socialize with anymore because it was just purely like drinking parties. And you know what? I'm sorry to say like they're great people, but I don't feel like I have much in common with them when you take out the alcohol. Um, so it's changed a lot. And I think there are some times that are, that are hard for him as well. Um, well, yeah, one other thing that I did want to say, so something that we recommend, like, with our clients, I think this is probably for the people out there that have families that, that and they're trying to support someone getting sober. So what is most recommended by a lot of, like, recovery or sober coaches is the family, um, have the family take a week off of sugar and literally, like, write in a journal how they feel the whole week. Um, or pick wow. kind of their thing. And that's all you need to learn, like, what it's like. You know, it's like someone's on a diet and someone's sitting there eating cheesecake, like, ooing and eyeing it in front of you. I mean, it's the same exact thing. And and it's, it's interesting because it's like, you know, you can say to a mom, like, okay, so you – um, were miserable that you didn't get sugar for three days, but yet you want, like, little Bobby to, you know, not drink while you and your husband are drinking it in the house. Like, it's to me in it, you know, or even my therapist is like, I can't believe this. Like, it's crazy, but people don't understand because we as alcoholics well, typically are people pleasers anyways, we don't want to tell people what to do. We won't, don't want to ask things. I don't want to ask of people. Like, that's a part of this process for me. So I'm not going to ask people not to drink, you know, with me. Or I will say that as I got stronger, I did. But not every person trying to get sober is going to do that. But it doesn't mean it's not what they need. Yeah, that's and they, so good. And I love that. I do too. I love that, that whole thing about having something, someone quit something that they love. That is, I mean, that's the only way you can give them even an inkling of what it feels like to be exactly. an alcoholic or, you know, to suffer from addiction. It's, it's really hard to describe, you know, and how can you say, like, no, that really bothers me. I mean, there's there are people that get bothered by TV commercials. I mean, it's it's that powerful mm-hmm. and um, you know, we talk about it all the time. You know, there's, you know, you sit on your 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 news feed on Facebook, and everyone's posting, you know, pictures of drinks and stuff like that. You know, that can be really hard to um, to see when you're, you know, trying to get sober. It's like, oh, I'm missing out. I'm missing out. I'm missing out. You know, a constant reminder, and it's so prevalent in society. Um, yeah, somebody uh, posted that today when I posted about the show, and I worked with him in sales, and he said, it's very hard to get dry in a wet world. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's the truth. I mean, like, I have a sister that struggles with smoking, and I want to be like, you know, like, at least now, like, smoking is not a social norm. You know, and I'm not saying one thing's harder than the other or whatever, but it's like it. there are a lot of times that I feel like the odd man out, you know, not drinking. But what I've also learned is that that's because that was who I surrounded myself with. Like there's a lot of people that don't even have alcohol at the dinner table um, or that do events without thinking of having alcohol there. 
I just didn't know any of them, and nor did I want to socialize with them, you know, while I, when I was out there. Um, one thing that I talked to Amanda about, and, and I'm sorry if they're listening, I don't think they are, but I have had a really hard time with my family. Um, and I don't live with them, but I'm very close to my family. And I, um, you know, I came home and we had a family meeting when I went to treatment and um, I was like, you guys, like, you just have to understand, like, you can't drink around me. Like, and this was in the beginning and I didn't expect, because there is a whole thing, that's me. You know, it's, it's, people will say like, you can't ask everyone to change. Well, if you want me around, you can't drink around me until I feel comfortable with it. So you make that choice. Otherwise, I'm not going to be around. So there was this agreement with my family that they would have family functions. And I'm like a week out of, or no, it was like the day I got out of treatment, we went to my parents and had a cookout and no one drank. And my dad's like, well, does anyone feel deprived? And it was like, oh, my God. I was like, but but this is from a family that, thinks, you know, particularly my dad, who I love dearly, but, um, you know, I think he drinks like I drank. So, um, you know, but but I basically said to them last week again, I said, you know, oh, they said, is it hard for you? Because I, and I just said, you know what, the only time I'm around alcohol now is around my family. Like, I think it's just gotten to a point where, in the beginning, to protect my sobriety, I said no to so much. And I was so healthy during that time um, because I really was in, you know, taking care of me. Now, I, and not that I'm not healthy and working on my recovery, but I've noticed that I'm way, like, back in, you know, with my family, like, sitting next to everyone, drinking wine. And it's a lot. I mean, sitting next to glasses of wine it's it's a pretty strong smell, and I know I can't drink, but yet it's tough when the only people that you're ever around alcohol are, are your family. And it's like, you know, my sister said once, well, do you have a problem with me drinking around you? It's like it's hard because it's like you want people to – all right, here's what I'm going to say. My dad has a kiwi allergy, okay? We have never had kiwi in my house. We don't buy kiwi. Like any of us, we all live in separate houses. We go buy the kiwi in the stores. Like it's like it's almost poison to all of us because of my dad's allergy. Like it's very different with alcohol, if you think of it. And it's like that in a lot of families. Like yeah. it's kind of like, then, well, oh, that's a good point. That, that, that um, do you feel like they care more about their alcohol than they care about you? Um, that's definitely been the situation at times like well and i think that goes into a whole other thing is when you have people around you that you worry about their drinking and you've quit there's a there's a lot of dynamics that go into that one is well how come they can keep drinking and i can't like you know am i really that bad or um they're basically like my own father like to me his drinking it's okay, well, then to me that means that I, um, you know, um, don't have a problem and like, or, or that they don't approve of me giving up drinking, you know. So there's just a, it's a, it's very, it's loaded and it's, it's emotionally charged because it's people that you love um, and there's no, like, black and white on it. 
I feel like this is the heart of the discussion because when we're talking about our spouses or we're talking about the people we live with, and as you said, as alcoholics, we tend to be very people-pleasing. Maybe we even are a little bit um, self-centered or narcissistic in that we see everything in the way that it relates to us. So Mm -hmm. we think everything everyone else does is a reflection on me. So, like, for me, if my kids misbehaved when they were little, I would think, oh, people are going to think I'm a bad mom, you know. Well, they might think I had bratty kids, but not that I was a bad mom. But to me, Mm -hmm. that's the filter I saw everything with. And I wonder if this is really what we're talking about, is if if we make a mistake or if it's right. I don't know. Tell me what each of you think, that if we are gauging how people rightly or wrongly choose to behave around us, or in our home, if we're using that as a some kind of love meter or worth meter, and 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 is the antidote for that to really speak our truth and as you said, Danielle, tell people what you need. I need you to not drink around me in order for me to be safe, or I need you to be willing to, you know, go on this journey with me or support me in order for me to to succeed. So how do you feel about that? Jenna, what do you think of that? Um, sorry, I just um I just missed the question. <laughs> what were you saying though? <laughs> do you feel like like um uh did you feel that it was a reflection of your husband's love or lack of love for you that he wasn't willing to give up drinking for you? No, I felt um, I did offer him resources. I didn't sometimes. Well, I didn't really think it was his lack of love for me. I felt um, he was really trapped in the disease. Um, and I remember mm-hmm. at one point he told me, "I don't want to change. This is who I am. I love my life." But then when we actually broke up, and he found a new girlfriend. And if he didn't want to get sober and that wasn't his bottom, then I that really hit me hard. Um, and that's when um, the 12-step program for the family of alcoholics was really helpful. You know, where I found out it had nothing to do with me. And it wasn't a reflection mm-hmm. of me, but he was just um, really sick and deep in his disease. It's intellectually, I can see that, but it still hits you in your your heart, you know. We actually, um, we, we, um, I I didn't really have Jenna finish when she was sharing earlier, and I think it's really interesting that all three of you talked about, like, when you decided to get sober, that it could mean the end of your marriage and, um, and, you know, and having that fear and um you know we didn't get that to you with Jenna but I know that you you have decided to get a divorce and you know you know how what made you come to that conclusion i mean that's you know that's the the scenario we don't want to hear um you know you get you know that's or i guess you know you go into it with that huge fear you know how how did you come to that conclusion and you know, what has it been like for you? Um, because, you know, well, I admire I, you a lot. You've stayed sober. Thank you. 
Thank you. Well, deep in my heart, like before I even got sober, I always knew um, that we would end up splitting off if I ever got sober. So that's what kept me um, drinking for years. Um, so I guess, I guess the first thing that really happened was I started working the steps in the 12-step program, and as I got further in the along in the steps, I realized that there wasn't a spiritual connection with my husband and I, and I kept trying to reach for it. Um, I made some difficult amends to him, and I kept thinking we were going to get closer. And then I realized um, that we were never, I was never going to reach that level of emotional and spiritual intimacy that I'd always longed for my whole life. So I was just constantly... Um, I was just sad about that. And I was, in the meantime, I was making all these really intense friendships that were really intimate with other people um, in the room. And that's what, it, that's what made me realize something was missing. Um, so what made me, so what finally, it was like a lot of thinking and praying. Um, I developed a spiritual practice, um, due to working the 12 steps and going to meetings, you know, I was taught to pray around my marriage. So I started praying every day. Since I was newly sober, um, you know, I just prayed that I would be given the right answer and what I should do with my um, marriage. And then I also did step work around it. I did a fear inventory when you take apart the fears and all the layers under the fear um and i did that you know with my sponsor i and then i started to see an incredible amazing amazing therapist i actually switched therapists um i was trying to get my husband to go to therapy with me and then he finally agreed and then they told me um it wouldn't work because of the drinking. They'd like ask us both a series of questions. Um, because I go to, I go, I see a student um, in a therapy um, school. Um, they're usually like four, they're usually like two to four year students. Um, and it's a discounted rate because my insurance um, doesn't cover it. But I remember hearing the news that, you know, just when they called me on the phone and they said we weren't qualified for therapy, but they offered to give me a better um, therapist, which was an intern and a student that was um, way more experienced. And I remember I was, like, trying to decide if I should leave my marriage. And this was going on for, like, over a year. And I remember my therapist told me, she told me to visualize my higher self, and get a clear vision of it in my head. I started to picture my higher self having these purple feather wings. And she said, whenever you're not sure of what to do, turn the volume of that little tiny voice inside you. Turn it up to full blast like you're listening to a radio station, and that's all you can hear. And then visualize what your higher self is saying to you. And I'd always kind of shut out that little tiny voice. And the voice, once I put that voice on full blast, it was saying, you deserve a better life. You know, this is a threat to your sobriety. You can do better. Um, 
you know, a better life awaits you. And that's that and praying every day, um, going to a lot of meetings, um, talking to other alcoholics. And also what really, really, really helped was when I got immersed in the other 12-step program um, for family and spouses of alcoholics, um, the family members, and I started to work the steps in that program and also you know, my own program around my marriage. So I just, I did a lot of intense work around it, self-reflection, and it was a really hard decision. I still, I still love my husband immensely, but ultimately it just, ultimately I wasn't, um, ultimately if I stayed with him, I wouldn't be aligned with my higher self and living my best life, and it really scared me that I would have to live this way the rest of my life, um, you know, dealing with his mood swings, we could never, we couldn't go on a vacation like a normal married couple because um, he was always too hungover, so we would have to go at noon, um, we were never connected, um, it was just, there was a lot of stuff that we couldn't do as a result. Um, of his drinking and me being sober. And it was rough on him, too, you know, to deal with <laughs> to deal with me. Yeah, like sure. um, Danielle was saying, she had to give up a lot of stuff. And I didn't, you know, I protected my sobriety. I didn't do a lot with him. I didn't go to bars. You know, I didn't go to events in the beginning. Yeah, that's some tough stuff. It's you know, it's it's um I thank you, Jenna, and I, I I really appreciate you sharing that with us and your courage for standing up for yourself and for your sobriety. It's um it's you know, I heard from all three of you and um and actually even myself when I said that I didn't stand up for myself in the beginning, I don't know what would have happened once I, you know, learned some of the things what? that I have learned along the way, but it's um it's really is you know alcoholism is life and death uh life or death mm-hmm. and um you know I really admire all three of you for you know holding your ground setting boundaries and sticking to them and acknowledging I it, it never even occurred to me I it, even though I guess it did happen you know that, that you know you're in making a decision to get sober, you could be, you know, other things in your life could fall apart. You know, it's not just a parade. You know, people don't just right. do a parade because you get sober. There's, you know, there's a lot of hard stuff that goes along with it um, and a lot of work well, that like we Jenna have to said, do on ourselves. Yeah. Amanda, for me, this is Danielle. Um, that was a huge reason I kept drinking. Um, I was so scared that, you know, I met my husband in a bar. What do we have in common? And, and um, you know, it's been, for me, it's interesting. It's just a totally different journey. I mean, I feel like I woke up and I was like, holy crap, like I'm sober. Like I woke up from this dream and I happen to be like seven years married. You know, like who, what, who am I? What is this? Why am I like trapped in this? And it was hard. Like I was convinced that I didn't want to be married and, my husband and I have, you know, not only for him going through the sobriety stuff, but it was a totally different journey in, like, a lot of therapy, 
a lot of work on myself and like I'm really happy in my marriage. So it's just, it's really interesting. But if someone told me when I went into treatment that that was going to be the outcome, there was probably like in my mind, like a 10% chance. So it's just, you know, it's just, you don't know what's going to happen. You change so much and so much changes. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Well, wow, I can't believe it. We are at the end of our hour, um, and this has been an amazing show, and I think we'll need to talk about this again. There's just so much to it. Um, um, I'd like to ask each of you um, if you have some closing thoughts or things that you'd like to share. Um, You know, Jenna, how about you? Is there any last words of wisdom that you'd like to leave with our listeners? Yes, I just wanted to say um, it's imperative to set boundaries, even if you're not comfortable doing them, which I wasn't. And I also wanted to say that um, anyone who's still suffering and drinking, that you're not alone, that there's help out there. Um, Please reach out for help. It's out there. Um, There's many ways of... um, Getting sober, like the 12-step programs are amazing. You can get so much support there. And um, they're also free. So, And I never thought I could stop drinking. You know, the longest I had ever gone um, was just 10 days, which was nearly impossible to do. So I just wanted to say, um, you know, don't give up. Keep trying if I can get sober. You know, anyone can. And, um, you know, your bottom can be a spiritual bottom. If you're just sick of drinking and it isn't working for you, you don't even need to be, you don't even need to call yourself an alcoholic. I think a lot of people get trapped in that. So that's all. And I just wanted to say thank you so much um, for having me as a guest, Amanda. And I hope you have a wonderful um, birthday. You're such an inspiration and um, such a shining example of beautiful, wonderful recovery. Oh, thank you so much, Jenna, and thank you so much for being our guest tonight. You're, I know you have really helped so many people, and you know I've, I really admired your journey, and you know you're an inspiration to me. So thank you so much. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Danielle, how about you? Do you have some any closing thoughts that you'd like to share? Yeah, just the whole thing about um and Jenna touched on it with boundaries, but this is about um doing, you know, changing the way that you live your life, sobriety and recovery and, you know, doing things differently than you did before and I never knew how to look out for myself first before and regardless of what other people are doing um if people are drinking and you're not comfortable with it you don't have to be there um and it's you're not wrong for wanting to ask someone in your house um to not have alcohol because the truth is if it's not that important to them and your marriage is important which isn't what happened in my case um they'll give it up in a second and no questions asked and you can't um feel wrong about that and if your family or people around you aren't really um aware of of this disease and the help around it um again i just absolutely recommend um the support groups that are out there um for families in recovery 
families of people Thank in recovery. You. Yes, that's a very good and point. And, of course, Thank happy you. birthday, Amanda. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and thank you so much for being a guest with us, Danielle. And um, I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Um, how about you, Jean? Do you have some closing thoughts you'd like to share? Oh, we heard, with, there's so much good information said tonight. Jenna and Danielle, both of you just, I wrote pages of notes <laughs> of what you said. And I'm, I just, I'm soaking it all in, but I guess the overarching thing that I'm hearing is that it's not black and white. There's, there's um, every alcoholic is a little bit different. We're all a lot the same, but our circumstances are different. Our marriages are different. Uh, you know, it, there is no yes or no or black or white. So every there's there's all kinds of situations that can be there, and the most important thing is that you have to be your own advocate. If you can't be honest with your spouse or your primary relationships with people around you, who can you be honest with? So you've really got to speak up, tell the truth, ask for what you need, and protect yourself. And I think um, that a lot of us, we get used to routines. Our house starts to feel normal. And if you've ever gone into someone's house with, like, a weird smell, and you're like, what is that smell? And you realize, like, your house just smells weird, and they can't smell it because they think it's normal. <laughs> That's kind of how our relationships get, right? Like, we're like, this just is normal, right? But it's not. You can you can shift things, you can change things, and really get what you need. And if you don't have the support of your primary relationships, if you are living in a home where you don't have support, um, then recovery programs uh, become infinitely more important. So you really, really need to have support around you in order to recover. And, you know, if you don't have that at home, then you need to make sure that you go out and get it. It will be even more important. And finally, the last thing that just really touched me was just that I think we can become really resentful of the people in our life when we they don't do what we want them to. I think that's a little alcoholic trait that we all have. And resentment, uh, really, expectations and resentment really, really fuel this disease. And I just think it's so beautiful that Jenna um, found compassion for her spouse. And and when she managed to find that compassion, that really fueled her own recovery. And even though her marriage, you know, didn't stay together, um, she still still draws on that compassion, and it's really her strength. And I think that's such a, a beautiful lesson here. Absolutely. Oh, and and thank you, Jean, for sharing your story with us, too. That was really a, a powerful message. Um, I had a few thoughts, and, of course, I'm spacing on them. But, um, you know, one thing I think that is important is, you know, with it, you know, it, we all have a right to ask for what we need from people. And I think one thing that's important is sometimes people have their own issues that they're dealing with, and um, and if they can't comply with you um, or if they don't comply with you, it doesn't mean they don't love you. Um, sometimes, you know, people have their own sickness, and um, it's it's hard not to take that personally and um, having compassion, and and um, but still still holding your ground is important. Um, and when we talk about boundaries and setting boundaries of what we want with people, Danielle, you kind of brought this up. Those are boundaries that we need to keep. Um, you know, it really doesn't matter how long you've been sober. I mean, sure, you get to do more things as you get more comfortable. 
but you know, having that boundary and always, you know, Jean, you said it. You know, you all said it. You know, if you if you want to leave, if you're uncomfortable in a situation, you can leave, and don't beat yourself up if you, you know, if you know you've been sober for a while and all of a sudden you're having a craving. That's um, that's what we do. <laughs> that's mm. that's we, you know, we are alcoholics. That's normal. Every day that we don't drink is going against our grain. Um, and it's a gift, and I think we tend to beat ourselves up. You know, today's my four-year anniversary. I had, like, I thought, like, oh, a glass of wine would be nice, and I was like, what the hell was that? (laughs) It was a stupid, (laughs) and I laughed at myself, and it wasn't a craving. It wasn't, but, I mean, the thought popped into my head. I was like, you know, I was sitting on my patio. It's a beautiful day, and I was relaxing, and I was like, huh, and I was like, wow. That is just so out of the blue, and I and I can't even tell you like I have I have zero desire to drink whatsoever. But it doesn't mean the thought doesn't pop into my head every once in a while, and you know you can recognize those thoughts and shoot them down. But but that's why I think like the the boundaries that we set. You know, Danielle, you said no alcohol in your home. Your husband's cool mm-hmm. with that, and that's fine. And you know, Jean, you know, you let your husband have it there, and you're comfortable with it. That's that's great. Um, and, you know, it's it's all about, you know, taking care of ourselves. And, and, and one thing about boundaries is that they don't work if you don't stick to them. Um, mm-hmm. And I could go on and on and on. I had, like, a bunch of other things I wanted to say, and I just um, – I've really just been doing so much listening on this show. Um, it's just it's, – it's really been a powerful show, and I thank you all so much. So um, with that, I'm going to sign off for the show. And as we do with every show, we'd like to direct you to Shining Strong's website, which is shiningstrong.org. And on there you will find links to all of our resources, including the Bubble Hour and Crying Out Now, and links to some of our other initiatives we are involved with in our recovery advocacy. And actually I should mention I know Danielle is very passionate and about recovery advocacy as well. Well, we all are, really. Um, but we have um, rec- September is Recovery Month, which is just in a week that makes me want to cry. Um, not Recovery Month, but that the summer is coming to a close. Um, but so there's lots of events going on um, across the country. Um, so if you're looking to get involved, you can um, look look around your area. Most states have some sort of a resource where you can find things, or you can also go to. Um, many faces, one voice, I think, directs you to a lot of things. Um, let's see. So the Bubble Hours website is thebubblehour.com, and there you can listen to our shows directly from the website, or you can follow a link to subscribe to our podcast. And we thank you all so much for listening to the Bubble Hour, and I hope you have a great evening. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Thank you. Thank you.